So <laughs> it's going to be a good day. It's already been a good day. It's like, it is, it's so fun. I, I love just the dynamic that's happening in the room. If you're online, I'm sorry you're missing it, but we, it's so fun. Like walking in here today is just, I'm, I'm not even going to start yet because I just, I just want to, you guys to be aware of something that's been happening a few weeks ago, we, we started talking about passing down the faith, and yes, we're in a new series, but it's rooted in the book of Deuteronomy, and we're going to take a little bit bigger of a picture, but what I want to identify for you is since we've, Siri didn't get it, but she's going to get it in a second <laughs> since it went off. Um, what I want you to know is we started talking about that and inviting our elementary age kids to sit with us in our gathering. And I don't know if you've noticed, but every week there's slowly been a growing group of elementary age students who have sat together, also around John, um, which has been fun. But I identify that, I want to identify that out, I want to point that out, because it's been cool to watch over the weeks, whether it's one kid or several kids or John, talking to them, taking a moment during our response time to talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in communion, taking a moment to identify that story and why it's important. Church, if, if we do anything well, if, if we, whether music's done well, whether I sound great, and you know, if Siri interrupts me again, whatever happens, my hope is that we can center around that story and we can take a moment to be grateful for and appreciate and celebrate those small moments that's why we make such a big deal about kids camp, because we want so many students to know the love and the grace of Jesus. That's why we, we do something called Party in the Park, uh, because we're just trying to help our community know, hey, there is a God who loves you, and we want to focus on building those relationships with people in a non-threatening way, so that as time progresses, when, when stuff gets difficult, when people look around and say, God, where are you? We've been present and here, not because we're better, but because we know that God loves us and he died for us and we're living in response to that love. And a lot of the ways that we're able to do that is because we are trying to understand and wrap our minds around the biggest story, a, a story that encompasses our life and trying to allow that story to become our story and allow our stories to mold into that story because we do say that your story matters, and it does. But our story isn't the story. It's we find our place within God's story, and that gives us meaning, identity, value, and worth because then we can truly be ourselves and love people well because we don't find meaning from our trying to pull it up from inside out, but it's because there's an ultimate God, a good, true, and loving God who moves towards us and gives us words so that we can find our identity and meaning and then live out of that truth. And in some ways, that's what this series is about. I, I, I've been watching, re-watching one of my favorite shows. And what I love about one, this old TV show is that it starts each episode with a famous quote from a musician, from an author, and then it ends each episode with a, a quote from an author or a musician, something that came around during that episode. And it provides theme and meaning for that episode. So you kind of get a glimpse at the start of it what's coming, 
And a nice little quote at the end that kind of bookends what the episode was about. And it provides scope and theme for driving throughout this show. And words are powerful. When we have a common theme or a common truth that can drive us to action, we find ourselves in place and in concert with that. Some of you have lived by words or phrases that have shaped your whole life. Some of you, right, wrong, or indifferent, are maybe trying to escape some words that have been said to you. They've been the driving theme of your life. Some of you know those. Things like, you're stupid, you're not good enough, you're unlovable. And you've either been felt that and internalized that and believed that truth, or you've been trying to prove that truth wrong through your actions and through your attitudes. Sometimes there, there's a theme or a phrase that is said to us that we're grateful for. Things like, I'm proud of you, or I love you, or you're a great mom, or you're a great dad, or you're a great sibling, you're a great son, you're a great daughter. And those words fill us up and give us life and direction, and we want to prove those to be true. But we also know the withholding of those words are equally as powerful. Some of you have been living lives desperately seeking to hear those words from another, wanting your actions and your attitudes just to, to shape that, to do that, so that you can hear that from someone else. What's interesting as we think about the theme how words play an impact on the story. The scriptures are no different. Framing stories, values, powerful moments, they often begin with quotes that set the trajectory for what a person becomes, how they act, and ultimately what God wishes for humanity. As we begin this blessed series, today what I just want to do is look at four quotes, three four words from Scripture that really shape the narrative of Scripture and ultimately help us find place in God's story. The first word that we need to hear is the invitation from God to Abraham on his mission to rescue and renew humanity. Charity read those words for us. God calls Abraham. He invites him. And this is what it says. Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. One word is repeated five times in just these three short verses. God says to Abram, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And not only that, the people on the whole earth will be blessed through you. Right there in Genesis 12, God quoting, speaking to Abraham. God's very first strategy for letting humanity know that they are not alone, that they are vowed, is blessing 
choosing a person, choosing a people, blessing them so that others will see who God is and what he is like. See, the backstory of this, though, for Abraham is that his future was very much in doubt. His, him and his fathers and his family, they worshipped other gods. They were, they, one, one commentator says that they worshipped the moon god in particular. And then as they thought about their family and how to find place within the world, this one god singles out this family and calls them out of a place of confusion, out of a place of brokenness, and says, I'm giving you purpose and I'm giving you a promise. And out of that promise, he promises a son. But what's interesting is God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Abraham and Sarai did not have any children yet. And so as they hear these words, likely there's a sense of, God, I don't see it. I'm hearing you. I'm being called out of a place of confusion into this adventure with you. You're promising me something. You're giving me purpose, yet I don't see it. How many times have you been in that place where maybe you've heard a word from the Lord, where you've heard something maybe in your, the quiet of your spirit and, and God maybe brings a scripture to your mind and you're like, I know that to be true. I want that to be true, but I just don't quite see it. It's in this place that we can see God's promise to Abraham and giving this purpose. And Abraham struggled with this. He even took matters into his own hands to bring this reality and what ultimately produced brokenness. But it's amazing that when we look around and see the world in shambles, when we're in a place of desperation and confusion, it's often in that place that the mission of God will often finally flourish. Because we can't do it on our own. We can't do it out of sight. We have to step into the adventure called faith. And move with God for the sake of others. See, Abraham was called out of a place, and God gives him a promise and a purpose. And Abraham was to be blessed, to be a blessing. I mean, how many times have you seen, though, that we can throw hashtag blessed on stuff? Or say, oh, how's your day? Oh, I'm just so blessed. And sometimes we throw out this word because we want it to be true and we don't always feel it to be true. Or sometimes we say it because we think that's the right response. And sometimes we even use it and we don't even know what that actually means. Like, what does it mean to actually be blessed? Sometimes we understand being blessed to mean a lack of suffering or even material prosperity. So we think, okay, if if nothing's bad or I have stuff, then of course I'm blessed. But when we define blessed in those terms, we, we are defining things often by external realities, by something outside of ourselves that then sometimes we jockey for control or we, we change our actions and attitudes to hear those words and those desires. And we, we miss the whole reality that blessed is not something you, you achieve or you manipulate or you create, but it's ultimately something that's first received by God. Because here's that passage in Genesis. God says, I will bless you. Abraham didn't have to earn God's blessing. He didn't have to fix up his life, get better, and then God said, okay, I'll use you. God initiated the relationship, and he was inviting Abraham to respond to that truth and believe that he was first blessed by God. And when he believed that truth, then could be a blessing 
to those around him. And so when we use this term bless, what we're saying, maybe I'll get a nerd out here for a second, because sometimes it has various meanings. And I think when, when we start to parse that out, what it does is, and we allow it to sink into our soul, we then begin to understand how God has actually moved towards us. See, technically, bless describes the act of consecrating something or someone by religious rite or word, saying, you are sacred, you are set apart, you matter, you are mine. And what God does to Abraham is he does this in this phrase. Says he sets him apart, he gives him a purpose, he gives him meaning, not intrinsic to himself, but from God, and says, you are mine. And so today we use bless in a variety of ways. Sometimes we think, like I said, it just means, oh, we'll just be happy or it's good. But really, sometimes bless, what it actually means when we start to use it in a verb sense, is to add strength to another's arm. So when we are blessing someone, you are strengthening them. You are standing shoulder to shoulder, side by side, and saying, I'm on your team, as you are first on God's team. See, it's you can increase strength and prosperity of another to bless, but it's first because you have received that truth from God. So when we start to think about how do we add strength to other people in our spheres of influence? If, if God says, okay, Abraham, you're blessed to be a blessing, and we'll get to how we fit into this story we start to understand that when we bless others, we start to relieve others' burdens in life. We stand beside them and share that burden. It's, we start to act in ways that help them breathe more easily. Maybe even lifts their spirit or alleviates distress. Some things like maybe giving words of affirmation. Maybe moving in acts of kindness or even being generous with gifts. And what happens is when we understand, and as God was giving these words to Abraham, that as God moved towards him, affirmed who he was, acted kindness in providing a way in a relationship with the God of the universe, and would then give him things, he was supposed to share that with others. But the challenge is, is when we think we have earned that or achieved that, or we think that we have to do these things to be blessed, we actually hoard stuff. We, we withhold words of affirmation. We withhold acts of kindness because they don't deserve it. Or maybe they, they deserve something bad and they get what's coming to them rather than acts of kindness or being gracious, which is giving them favor when they don't deserve it. Or being generous. See, when, when we start to bless others, when it's something that's received and then trickles out, we will not be selfish. We will not be greedy with the gifts that God has given us. We will cultivate a spirit of generosity because it ultimately mirrors the character of God. Because humanity distanced themselves from God. God didn't withhold his love and his justice and his mercy, but he began to move towards humanity. And he starts the story in some ways through Abraham and his family. And it changes the trajectory for Abraham in his life. Sometimes I think we wonder when we hear words like this where it's like, 
And I just long for God to say, I love you. I'm going to bless you. Sometimes we think about, what do I have to do to hear those words for myself? Sometimes we think that if we just do enough, then we will hear those words. We think the reception, we think acting in a certain way will earn us those words that if we just do enough, then we will be blessed. Treating God like a chemical that we try to mix all the right things, ingredients, and produce something amazing when all the while a blessed person is someone who, because of a heart for God, is promised and enjoys God's favor regardless of our, pers- of, a, of our status or condition. doesn't matter who we are, where we're from, what we have, what we don't, how, how things look externally. But when we come to God and understand that he has moved towards us, that he loves us, that ultimately that he sends Jesus for us, that at that moment that we realize we are, in fact, blessed. See, Jesus has word, heard these words for himself at his baptism. Before Jesus has done any ministry, before he's done anything for God, tried to, you know, make a huge impact within the world, at his baptism, he hears, a, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. See, those words are a catapult to Jesus in his ministry, or a catapult to the rest of his life. And what did he do for the first 30 years of his life? He just simply lived faithfully and responded in obedience with where God had him. And now as he entered into a new season, a new adventure, it was that quote, those words, which would carry him forward. Before he had done anything maybe supernatural or spectacular or things we look at and say, man, I want to see that it's first hearing those words. And Jesus, Jesus gets us all bundled up. This word of affirmation, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and an act of kindness that propels him forward. See, it's these words and these phrases that I think enable us to see our attitudes change, to develop actions and habits that consistently put the blessed life into practice. This series ultimately is an acronym, so we'll talk about five habits. But ultimately, as we think about these habits, if we want to be maturing disciples of Jesus, people who increasingly hear those words, understand those words, know that God has moved for us in Jesus, then we must go on the mission together to practice these words. Because maturity will not come just from simply knowing those words but then hearing those words and starting to do something and believing it. Abraham, in order to be a blessing to the nations, had to step out and respond to God. He could not stay where he was. He had to take that step and move. Some of you want to be grow in your faith, to become more mature, to see things change in your life. In order for that to happen, you must first live, love, hear the love of God, what God has, the story that he has for you, and then start putting it into practice. 
Because it's when you put it into practice, you will start to hear and see and be able to believe what he said is true. See, we need a new sort of habits that reinforce our identities in Christ, that change us within the world. If you've been tracking with us, we've been journeying through the book of Deuteronomy last six or eight months. Moses has been speaking and preparing people to live in an established country as priests, as mediators of God, as representatives of God to the world. And what Moses was giving them in Deuteronomy was a series of habits and actions and ultimately the law to repattern them so that they could represent God well. And on this side of Jesus, we need to practice habits, responses to who Jesus is and what he has done for us so as to repattern our own hearts to then live well within the world so that others see a different set of habits, patterns, and actions that are ultimately countercultural and push back on the greed and the selfishness that we've seen. We need to be people who are rewired so that God can be represented within the world. And so just a word of caution as we begin to talk about these habits. Sometimes we take these habits or we take these nice little package steps and we turn them into a linear thing to be performed. That's not what we're talking about. This is not steps to then earn God's blessing or appear righteous or good. No, these are not a checklist. This is not a program you graduate from nor a class where you earn a certificate. What we're hoping is to practice some rhythms in your everyday life where you live, work, and play so that you can represent God to people who are wondering, where are you, God? What's interesting is Paul actually picks up on this natural confusion in his letter to the Galatians. People who have taken the blessings of God, filtered it through the law, tried to practice it in the early church. And he writes this to the Galatians. It's actually in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1, and I'll just start reading. He actually says this, You foolish Galatians, who has hypnotized you? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified. I want only to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now going to be made complete by the flesh? Did you suffer so much for nothing? If in fact it was nothing, so then does God supply you with the Spirit and the work miracles among you by the works of the law? or by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God and was credited to him for righteousness, then understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles, so all non-Jewish people, by faith, and told the good news ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who had faith. There's a natural confusion sometimes that we think if we just do the right things, if we earn it, then we can be blessed, that we can make things blessed. 
But Paul, in his letter to the church in Galatia, drew a straight line from Abraham to us that those who have faith are children of Abraham, thus actually children of God. That we are justified by faith and announced and told that we can be made new. That we can be rescued from our sin. That the same promise of blessing for Abraham is a promise for those who choose to follow Jesus. That we are blessed. But what we can't miss is that this blessing was never meant to be something we keep to ourselves. Jesus said if we believe in him, streams of living water will flow from within us. Our lives aren't meant to be buckets of blessing for us to hoard or to hold on to. Blessing is meant to flow. We're not buckets. We are rivers. And later in Galatians, just a few verses later, in verse 27, it says, For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. You have a promise. You have an inheritance. You have a God who longs to give you love and joy and peace, clarity and wisdom. And sometimes we try to grab it for ourselves. And he said, I'm already giving that to you in Jesus. Receive that and respond, which means putting that truth, that identity into practice. And when we start to do that, it means that we will choose joy, that we will choose peace, that we will choose to live out of our identity, that we will not define ourselves by maybe how others define us, by other labels, but one, how Jesus defines us, that we are loved in Christ. In his book, Discover Your Mission Now, Dave Ferguson recounts a reading, a doctoral thesis entitled, Blessers versus Converters. This researcher had looked at two teams of short-term missionaries that visited Thailand with distinctly different missional strategies. The team referred to as blessers went, went with the intention of simply blessing people. They saw their mission as being a, to bless whomever came their way in whatever practical ways they could. The converters, on the other hand, went with the sole intention of converting people and evangelizing everyone they encountered. The research found, perhaps unsurprisingly, that the blessers had far greater social impact. Makes sense. Do good to others, people will appreciate it. Well, when short-term missionaries go with the intention of contributing to social good or their context, that social impact will be high. But Ferguson points out a second finding. Second, probably what is most surprising is that he discovered that the blessers had almost 50 times as many conversions as the converters. That's a high number. <laughs> See, what happens, it's almost as if God had said this in the very beginning pages of the Bible. Abraham, I'm going to bless you and as you live blessed, you will be a blessing to the nations, thus helping all the nations know that I am God, that I am Lord, and ultimately providing a way for Jesus so that all people 
can know God personally and be known by God. See, when a people come together in a community, know that they are loved and blessed by God, they will ultimately be a blessing if we are able to be aware of that and be repatterned. The blessers, it's just amazing. We're 50 times more successful at helping people find their way to God, at helping connect with God. See, it's amazing. When we live almost unexpected lives, blessing strangers, being radical family together, caring for one another, helping people who become strangers, be friends, be family, and seeing that to others, we ultimately have the best opportunity for sharing the hope of Christ within us. See, that is what we gather for, is to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he has done, to be stirred on, to be reminded, to be encouraged, so that then we can live sent within the world. And so while blessing others definitely provide us opportunity for sharing our faith, we just need to be careful that we're not simply blessing others so that we can convert them, but be reminded that we do that because we have been first loved and blessed by God. We were made to bless the nations, but it's because we have first been blessed. And just one other thing, probably to say on this. The key to successful blessing, as we talk about these habits and rhythms, is that the recipient must feel blessed. The goal is to add strength to their arm. So we've got to be careful to define and defend when we say, oh, of course they are going to be blessed, that we are not defining blessing how we would feel blessed, but would actually add strength to their arm. So giving gifts in order to get return from someone, possibly like, hey, if you come to church with me, I'll buy you a coffee, probably well-intentioned, probably not the best strategy because ultimately what you win people with is what you win them to. And if we're not a consumer church, if we're not about bait and switch, but we're truly about understanding the love that God has for us and giving that away freely, that will repattern and rechange our hearts. So this implies that the blessers must become students of those whom they bless. Those whom we want to intercede for, contend for, pray for. We want to see, come to know and love Jesus. We must be attentive to their needs, their fears, their hopes, their stories. Church history is full of stories in which whole nations were colonized by Christian empires saying we're going to make things the way we want them to be. In fact, one quote says, when the missionaries arrived, the Africans had the land and the missionaries had the Bible. They taught us how to pray with our eyes closed and when we opened them, they had the land and we had the Bible. Whether or not that this is an oversimplification, the fact is that the blessing of the Bible was not perceived as those who linked it with entirely the evils of colonization. It seems like I'm ending probably on a dour note. But church, we must understand that we will not always be perceived well of by the world. And sometimes that's okay because we are citizens of another kingdom. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. 
for a new heaven and a new earth. And we can wait expectantly and hopefully, knowing that all will be made right. It's coming. That doesn't mean we need to act like hell on our way to heaven. If we can be a people that truly bring heaven to earth, then we will see people on earth act as they would in heaven and then join them in heaven for all eternity with God. That is the picture because this is the quote that ends in Revelation that we are, no, we know the end of the story. So when we see the end of the story lived here on earth, John, John writes in Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He said, I write these words because they are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. The victor will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That is the hope. That is the reality. And because we know the end of the story, because we know the blessing that we will inherit when we are in Christ Jesus, we can then live in that reality now, in our world, acting like heaven in a world that feels like it's going to hell. We have an opportunity, church, to live loved, to receive the blessing and bless others. And maybe along the way, people will come to know the love and the grace and ultimately the blessing that comes from a God who moves towards people because he loves them. So as we go through this series, as maybe this summer, people are out, it's warm, think about, who can I bless? Who can I care for? Who can I add strength to their arm? And we're going to talk about some practical ways to do that over this series. So I hope you journey with us and actually try it. <laughs> it's amazing what happens when we're inspired and maybe we hear things and hopefully today I've painted a picture for you of what life could be like, the adventure of faith to go on with God, with God for the world. And maybe when we do that, we actually find a much more enjoyable life because we're fulfilling our God-ordained purpose to live loved and love others, to receive God's blessing and bless others. He loves you. He values you. Your story matters. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray our closing prayer. And remember, this is a prayer maybe that you're praying for others. 
There's a lot of you in it. And maybe today you need to receive this. So let's go ahead and throw up that prayer. I'm just going to pray it. This is my prayer for you, for us as a church, to know that we are blessed and to be a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Through this reality, may you live your faith every day, everywhere. May God's family expand and grow. May your motivation be because of Jesus living out his story. May you make his ways be known and then live for generations to come. Amen. You are loved. You are sent. Have a great week.